Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now on Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of May 17th, 2021. It is time. It's time to end the health orders. It's been a year. You've followed the protocols. You've done what we've asked you to do. You've bravely fought this virus. Stop for just a second. Let that sink in. Take a deep breath in. And breathe it out. When I was little, if I had a hard time falling asleep, my mom used to do these breathing exercises with me and they would always help me calm down and drift off to sleep. And even as an adult, sometimes I just hit pause for a minute to repeat that practice. Breathe in and breathe out. Finally, the health restrictions are being lifted. By staying apart in those early months, Ohioans actually came together, saving countless lives. What you have done has truly worked. It's been over a year now, and we've distanced, we've masked, we've washed our hands a bajillion times, we sacrificed, and we did what was asked of us. And it was really, really hard. The work that we all put in is getting us one step closer to what we've been wishing for for quite some time, and that is the feeling of normalcy. For things to go back to the way they used to be before COVID-19 showed up uninvited. Another contributing factor to get us to pre-COVID conditions. Now we have a powerful weapon that is almost 100% effective in beating this virus. The vaccine, is here. It's stronger and better than medical experts ever imagined when the vaccine is readily available to anyone who wants it. The real waste is a life that is lost now to COVID-19. Breathe in and breathe out. You put in the work The vaccine is working, the number of cases are dropping, we are here. Joining us again today is a friend of the podcast. He's an emergency physician and the medical director for Premier Health EMS Center of Excellence, Dr. Randy Marriott. Hi, Dr. Marriott. Let's get right into it. Can you give us a current update on local COVID-19 cases? Sure. Well, the seven-day average on May 3rd is 62 that's the, well, that's the seven-day average uh, for number of new cases. So I think that as I read, read this, um, that is about 30 a day, I think, is actually where we're at. As of May 3rd, new cases are 30, and the seven-day average 
was 62. So 30, 30 cases reported today. So we're down about half of the last week's average. So it's getting better, which is which is about what we were expecting. And if you go back to like mid-April, it was the seven-day average was more like uh, 84, and there was a, around April 14th, 15th, the single-day average was it topped out over 100. So that was the little spring peak that we've had, and that probably was from some uh, relaxing of our uh, social distancing and mask wearing and people getting a little too comfortable uh, with the fact that uh, the vaccine is here. The problem is not nearly enough people are being vaccinated. Uh, as of right now, um, there have only been, I think, 2,000 people vaccinated in the state of Ohio for this month so far, which is way, way down. Um, the Montgomery County uh, scheduling even a few weeks ago dropped way off uh, where they only were filling about 5% of their appointments, which is uh, why they decided to uh, open that up to uh, most anybody uh, who was uh, 16 or 18 years of age or older, depending on whether they were getting Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson, and um, have as many people uh, come get the vaccine on a walk-in basis is, is, is wanted it. And so far, that's not many people. So now uh, they're looking at more creative ways of getting vaccine out to uh, homebound people and other populations that maybe can't make it to a vaccination pod. That's, I think, the next thrust. But uh, we're uh, reaching a wall, unfortunately, and we're nowhere near where we need to be for herd immunity, which is about 60 to 70% of the population uh, vaccinated, and we're, we're nowhere near that. Dr. Marriott, I saw an article that talked about all of the wasted vaccines from pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS. Can you explain why vaccines would be wasted? Yes. I mean, if, if there are no-shows and they've prepared vaccine for that day and it's been uh, uh, brought up to room temperature, they only have so many hours to uh, use that vaccine. Uh, so then they either find someone's arm to put it in who hasn't had it, or it goes to waste. And uh, we've tried very hard not to have that happen. At the uh, vaccination pods uh, that public health has run, they were able to, to find people who uh, did not, uh, did not uh, have the vaccine or were able to take it on, a, uh, on an urgent basis, such as uh, some of the police officers that were doing security uh, for the uh, convention center, even back uh, before the first of the year, some of them were able to get vaccinated because they were there at the end of the day and there was vaccine that had to be given or it would be wasted. So uh, they've done a very good job at not doing that. But I think at this point, when we have so few people showing up for it and so few walk-ins, that it's getting very hard not to waste the vaccine. From fear to just not knowing enough factual information, what do you think is preventing people from being vaccinated? So I think it's a combination of all those factors. I think people have some mistrust of the vaccine. I think people have um, some uh, lack of uh, concern that COVID is a problem for them. They think if they're young and healthy, they won't be severely affected. And that may or may not be true. 
but they failed to realize that they can be a carrier. As we've said before, 50% of transmissions occur from asymptomatic individuals to other individuals, and 25% of those asymptomatic individuals who spread disease will never have symptoms. So there is, uh, I think, a lack of understanding that they can be an unconscious spreader of the disease and give it to their, uh, their loved ones and friends and, and elderly uh, acquaintances as well. And an 87-year-old woman last week who was COVID positive, fortunately, she was doing extremely well under the circumstances and was able to be sent, uh, sent home to recuperate. But uh, when we began kind of investigating how that could have occurred, it was clear that it was her grandchildren who were coming to visit her and look in on her uh, who brought her the virus. And this is happening many, many times uh, and much more often than people believe. So this, this idea that if, if I'm 25 years old and have no underlying health issues, uh, there's no reason for me to even consider the vaccine because I'm not in danger of any adverse effects from the virus. Uh, one, that may not be true. And two, they're not taking into account uh, the other people around them they're infecting. I appreciate you sharing that example because I hear that from a lot of younger people and even parents of younger people. They think they're untouchable, but they may not be thinking about what they're doing to others. I think it's a fallacy to believe that that they are in fact bulletproof, that the, the virus may not affect them because many of them really are surprised after they have an infection at uh, how this has caused ongoing fatigue. Uh, caused the the brain fog that uh, that people talk about, uh, and has caused them to lose uh, their aerobic fitness uh, for weeks and months, much longer than they expected. So I I, I think that even though they're they're young and healthy, uh, they get fooled, and uh, we end up even seeing some of these folks need to be admitted to the hospital because they have uh, low oxygen levels and other complications that they never expected. And so I think uh, even though that is rare or infrequent, I should say, rare is maybe too strong of a word because it does happen uh, occasionally. Even though it's infrequent, I think it it does, uh, I think, tend to uh, surprise uh, some of these younger uh, folks that, that think that it's not a real issue for them. From the beginning of this pandemic, it seems that there has been a major divide in how people look at COVID. And for a lot of people, COVID isn't an issue for them until it's an issue for them on a personal level. Well, and it's, and it's been made political, which is which is quite unfortunate, and it's become a uh, you know a, a battle cry on both sides, I would say, and and uh, people that feel that somehow their personal liberties are, are being infringed upon if they're being uh, urged to take uh, the vaccine, um, and there's resentment when uh, being vaccinated is somehow linked to a restriction of uh, of mask wearing and travel and, and gatherings and so, so forth. It's almost, they feel as if they're almost being held hostage uh, by uh, by the disease and, and their ransom as if they take the, the, the vaccine. And there's a certain amount of resentment. Uh, and I can under- understand that. Uh, but the facts are what they are. And that is that in order to to safely relax some of these measures, a certain number of uh, people in the in the uh, community have to be vaccinated or have to have experienced uh, actual disease. We have to get up to that 60, 70 percent mark or more or more to try to control this. 
and uh, and we're not there. Uh, it's not as if uh, if you're you know I think it, it it's almost a big brother uh, attitude or concern that that they're the government is forcing this on on them. Uh, you know I don't think that's true. I think this is simply uh, simply the, uh, the the common sense measures of people who have to make hard decisions uh, about a very serious and unfortunate situation. Uh, no one asked for to be put in either position, either uh, to have to make the hard choices of uh, of bringing about restrictions or or having to make the choice of taking a vaccine that they may not be totally comfortable with. But that's the situation in which we find ourselves, uh, for better or for worse. And uh, I'm afraid at this stage, if we don't do a better job of accepting the vaccine, and if this vaccine hesitance does not improve, uh, we're not going to control this disease and it's going to become endemic, meaning we're going to have this with us for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and we'll have re- recurrences. We'll have people who uh, will get it for a second and third time. And maybe uh, maybe they'll be less sick. Maybe they won't. It'll it'll continue to uh, to mutate, and we'll have different uh, variations of this virus uh, that so far have been maybe a little more transmissible, but less uh, virulent. But that is not always the case. Mutations cut both ways. And one thing that concerns me as well is these new variants um, seem to be driving the uh, average age of uh, those getting the disease down. Um, so far, we haven't had to deal with a lot of very ill children. I think this would have been a much more um, serious situation, uh, at least psychologically, uh, been much more of a nightmare if in the last year we experienced a number of young children becoming ill or even dying from this virus. Uh, we don't have any guarantee that that could not happen in the future if we don't get a handle on this. Uh, a, a, a new uh, variation as virus could very well start uh, attacking younger children. So uh, these are all these are all uh, concerns that people need to take into consideration when deciding whether uh, they will or will not take a, a vaccine. This is something we've covered on the last few episodes, but with information changing rapidly, can you give us an update on the COVID variants and how the vaccine can protect against those variants? Well, I think the, the information is somewhat preliminary, but so far uh, the vaccines that we have in place uh, seem to be covering uh, everyone for what the prevalent variant uh, strains are. Um, now, again, that, that could change any week, any month, but so far we seem to be, seem to be doing well. Uh, what concerns me is the number of uh, people who are becoming infected in India currently and the, uh, the, the high likelihood that there'll be variants coming out of, of that country. And as, as we know, uh, uh, with the modern world as it is, we are not going to contain these variants. They will find their way here. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Dr. Marriott answers questions about the rising cases in India and more on the vaccine. Stay with us. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now. But behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, We'll be here, standing strong, because it's who we are, and care is behind everything we do. 
Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. Dr. Marriott, the virus is bad in India right now. Is there anything we should be worried about as far as another big outbreak? And what does this mean for us in the U.S.? Well, I don't think there's anything uh, immediately to be concerned about. It, 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 I bring it up due to the fact that you have uh, over a billion people uh, in, a, in a densely populated country who are experiencing uh, a, a high in, infection rate. Uh, the you know the the likelihood that there will be some mutation coming out of that is 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 very high. In fact, it, it's it's probably a foregone conclusion there are going to be variants coming out of out of uh, this outbreak. And uh, whether uh, they will be covered by the, our current vaccine, whether they will be more virulent, less virulent, more transmissible, less transmissible. It, it, uh, it, it, it's unknown, uh, but it's certainly um, it's that unknown that concerns me that, that it could go either way. And shifting back to some vaccine talk, after some scary news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it is back in the lineup. In your opinion, should people be comfortable receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine now that it is an option again? The baseline incidence of the clotting problem that was uh, first uh, uh, observed uh, is about two to five per million per year. That's how frequently uh, cerebral uh, dural sinus thromboses occur. Uh, it's a that's a very serious problem. It's where you have um, open areas of blood, sinuses of blood formed uh, by the uh, coverings of the brain uh, that become clotted. And again, it, it's that is that is a serious issue. Uh, I've maybe treated three cases in my career, not a common disease. Um, however, the baseline incidence of that disease is again, as I said, two to five per million population per year. When we first became concerned about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and, and put a, a temporary moratorium on it uh, on it being administered. You were looking at only, I think, at that time, six cases with almost seven million vaccinations given. So you were seeing numbers that were well below uh, the baseline annual incidence of that problem. Uh, makes it very difficult, in my mind, to uh, make that attributable to the vaccine itself. Uh, and again, they mentioned that most of those in which this occurred, uh, most if not all. Uh, of the recipients in which this occurred were uh, women of childbearing age. And I didn't have yet to see information regarding smoking, uh, but that usually ups the risk as well. So just to give you a, a, a just ballpark figures here as best I know, know them, right now there, we're now up to 15 cases of abnormal clotting, not all including uh, the cerebral dural uh, sinus thrombosis, but other types of, of clotting issues. 15 cases in those that have received uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine out of 8 million vaccines administered. Uh, so it's a huge number of vaccines administered, a very, very small number. Uh, those who are on oral contraceptives uh, by comparison, uh, you can expect about 500 to 1,200 cases per 1 million people per year. 
that are on those type of, uh, of hormone treatments, much, much higher by, by, by a factor of, a, of, of almost a thousand. Uh, people who smoke uh, will have about 1,700 cases of thromboses at some uh, location in their body and uh, per million people per year, much higher. And those who are infected with COVID itself, you can expect about 165,000 cases of thrombosis per million people infected. Uh, that's a 16.5% uh, rate of clot if you get COVID. So you can you can see the the, the comparisons are, are are very staggering. Uh, the the odds of having of some type of clot and dangerous clot if you have COVID is is millions of times higher uh, than if you were actually given the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I personally don't believe that the vaccine itself brought that about. I think it was uh, simply an observation of uh, the baseline incidents and, and, and not even to that level of thrombosis in the population. There are reports that the next generation of COVID-19 vaccines in development could come as a pill or nasal spray. What do we know about this? Well, we know that those technologies have been used for a long time. We've had oral vaccines going back to the 1950s with polio, uh, and they're, they're effective if formulated correctly. We've had nasal vaccines going back several decades with flu mist, um, and particularly in, in children, things uh, that can be administered nasally are very popular. So I, I certainly uh, can understand uh, where the companies would be very interested in uh, in formulating the vaccines this way. Uh, and it might make uh, storage and distribution much easier as well. Uh, so those are always factors, you know, because again, we're, we're uh, struggling even in this region right now with how do we get vaccine to homebound people? How do we, how do we uh, ensure that it's uh, stable and that it's been kept under the appropriate conditions to get it to people's homes? Who can do that? And uh, we're looking at uh, even uh, using uh, paramedics in order to do that. Um, uh, so some interesting, uh, interesting possibilities there. But again, a lot of regulations surrounding uh, how the vaccine is handled due to its uh, due to the concerns that it it'll, it'll uh, lose its uh, lose its stability if it's not uh, handled in a very specific way. So. I say that to say if you have an oral or a nasal formulation, a lot of that goes away. Um, again, but you have to be you know, certain that it has the same efficacy. Uh, one of the problems with nasal uh, administered flu vaccines is they never have had quite uh, the effectiveness of in injections. Um, for instance, I had the uh, uh, choice uh, of whether to take a nasal flu vaccine for H1N1 in 2011 during uh, the last so-called pandemic. Uh, and I say that because, uh, as a side note, uh, 2011 was uh, was nothing compared to what we've experienced in the last year. Uh, but uh, either take the, the nasal uh, formulation or wait uh, for the injection. At that time, the difference in effectiveness was significant. I waited for the injectable. So You'd have to weigh all that information and and uh, and see numbers in terms of efficacy or effectiveness of a of a nasal or oral vaccine. But but it's certainly uh, an interesting 
development, and I, I have no doubt that they're working on it. Now, I'm not asking the following question to give people an out from masking, and here in Ohio, it sounds like we won't have to worry about masking for much longer, but from mask knee to oxygen supply and feeling fatigued, I'm curious, can there be any damage from wearing a mask for too long? Well, no, I've not seen or heard of any actual uh, medical complication of wearing a mask, uh, just to get that out, out, out front. In theory, can the mask uh, cause uh, some respiratory difficulties? And, and the answer is a weak yes. Um, there is, uh, there is uh, a uh, bit of evidence, I would say, that is fairly, uh, fairly substantiated in a controlled environment, in a laboratory setting where people wearing masks do have some retention of carbon dioxide. So that can build up in your system over a period of time when wearing, wearing certain types of masks. I don't believe I've seen evidence where that it actually would decrease your oxygen level. So what people may be feeling, if anything at all, I might add, is potentially the uh, slight buildup of carbon dioxide. And Though the numbers I have seen, it, it does not occur uh, to a level where people would be uh, in any type of danger. Uh, could it cause subtle uh, changes in your in your uh, in your mood or your uh, mentation or your mental sharpness or alertness? Uh, I guess that's possible, and it would be akin uh, to someone, say, with sleep apnea, how if you know, if they haven't worn their CPAP, they get some build up of carbon dioxide and uh, not enough uh, to necessarily, uh, in some cases, be noticeable, but they have daytime symptoms of, uh, you know, tiredness and, and, uh, and some mental fogging and so forth. So, and again, I would emphasize this is all very theoretical with the millions and millions of people that we have had wearing masks over the last year. Uh, the fact that uh, as a as an essentially full-time emergency physician, I've seen no uh, true medical issue relating to it uh, is, I think, not insignificant because most of us in uh, in my practice will see anywhere plus minus 5,000 patients a year. Um, and uh, with so many people wearing masks, the fact that I have not seen uh, a case nor have nor do I know of any of my partners who have seen a case of uh, a uh, documented medical complication from the mask itself. I'd say if, if people feel that that might be the case, then they simply need to take frequent breaks in an area where they can take their mask off. And uh, I think that will, uh, uh, will likely, uh, likely take care of the problem. The slight buildup of carbon dioxide would take, you know, potentially hours to actually uh, cause any uh, any significant concern. If someone's uh, doing office work or uh, doing other work where they're not exerting themselves and generating a lot of uh, a lot of carbon dioxide, it's uh, probably not a, a big deal. And uh, you know other other professions that do a lot of heavy outdoor work, again, they're outdoors. Uh, do you really need a mask outdoors? Uh, if with with ambient breezes and so forth, and and, and the answer is probably no. Uh, you know this this whole uh, idea that we're going to make 
Little League baseball players wear a mask, I think, is maybe taking things a little uh, too far. So I think there is room for there is room for more common sense in what we what we what we do uh, to some degree. Um, so I'm I'm not uh, I'm not uh, completely saying you 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 must you know wear a mask all the time uh, regardless of circumstances. You know there are there are certainly some common sense answers uh, such as when you're in <laughs> when you're outside. Uh, several feet apart, uh, like on a baseball field, and you're you have uh, usually some uh, some uh, air movement. Uh, there's no risk of transmission in that circumstance. And Dr. Marriott, what is one last thing you'd like to leave listeners with? Yes, I, I would. I would simply go back to the the vaccine hesitance. That would be my my biggest concern. And we could be much farther toward herd immunity toward making this disease stop in its tracks, if people would simply roll up their sleeves and get a vaccine. And if you don't feel like you need to do it for yourself, do it for your family, do it for your friends, do it for those in which you uh, come in contact with, uh, and and do it for your neighbor. Uh, uh, Franklin Graham made that recommendation. He was actually uh, asked, what would Jesus do if uh, he were offered the vaccine? And uh, he said he would take it for that very reason, because he would tell you to love your neighbor. Uh, He came under some fire for that, believe it or not. Uh, But I happen to believe that was the correct way of looking at the situation. So I would just urge people to reconsider the vaccine. We have now given it to 100 million people in this country with very, very low side effect rate, much lower than what the clinical trials predicted we would see. We've seen very few cases of immediate allergic reaction, very few. In fact, I know of no one who is, uh, has been hospitalized in our area due to a uh, allergic vaccine reaction. We've had some people who have had uh, some episodes of passing out or maybe some other um, anxiety-driven symptoms. That occurs, that, that is well known to occur with, with vaccines. Um, people do get what's called a vasovagal reaction where their blood vessels dilate and their heart rate will slow slightly after receiving a either painful or noxious uh, or anxiety-provoking stimulus like, uh, like an injection. Uh, and there are people that have needle phobias and those, uh, uh, those people can have those type of reactions. But an actual cause and effect with the vaccine itself that has not occurred in any significant numbers. Um, I've heard some anecdotal reports that potentially people are getting um, higher cases of shingles or herpes zoster after the vaccine. Um, I don't know that that has been at all substantiated. Again, uh, shingles is a uh, disease that we see fairly commonly in the uh, population at baseline. So it would be very hard to uh, to tease out a cause and effect with the vaccine. Uh, So again, um, I I can think of no good reason not to be vaccinated. And I would certainly urge everyone to, uh, again, strongly consider this for the sake of of everyone around you and, and our society at large. Yes, I completely agree. We have to take care of not only ourselves, but of each other. Thank you so much, Dr. Marriott. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. It's been been fun. 
Have you been vaccinated yet? If you have, thank you. If you have not, what's holding you back? If you have questions or concerns about the vaccine, I really encourage you to make the call to your healthcare provider and get the answers you need to make an educated choice that's right for you. Breathe in. Breathe out. We aren't completely out of the woods, but the vaccine is working. Cases are down. We are here. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com slash COVID-19. And we want you to get the information you need about COVID-19 vaccines from people you can trust. Visit our COVID-19 vaccine hub for up-to-date interviews with our physician leaders, fact sheets, news, and more about COVID-19 vaccines at premierhealth.com slash vaccine. This has been Premier Health Now On Air. COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.